This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, when settling a liability claim, a not-so-new issue has begun appearing. It's the Medicare Secondary Payer Act, which has long been enforced in workers' compensation, but not so much in liability. Well, that situation is about to change, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Currently, uh, regulations pertaining to the Medicare Secondary Payer uh, Statute do not contain specific mandates requiring CMS review and approval of future medical allocations, nor do they contain any provisions addressing specific options to address Medicare's future interests. But that's been evolving. And uh, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to take a look at the expected changes in the liability rules regarding Medicare compliance as well as the treatment of future medicals in liability and no-fault settlements. And joining me today as my uh, co-host is my colleague Tom Blackwell, Vice President and Program Director of Ringler Medicare Solutions, Inc., also known as RMS. You can find out more about Ringler Medicare Solutions at RinglerMedicareSolutions.com. So, uh, Tom, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thanks, Larry. I'm glad to be here. Terrific. And our special guest today is Peter Foley. Peter joined the American Insurance Association in 2007 as Vice President of Claims Administration. He provides advice on public policy and claims issues affecting the insurance industry at both the state and the federal level. Peter uh, represents member companies with the media, governmental bodies, and other organizations. And you can find out more information on Peter and the American Insurance Association at AIADC. Dot org. So, Peter, welcome. Thanks, Larry. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, terrific. And um, it's a very timely topic. So, uh, Peter, let's begin. Let's begin talking about the basics. Uh, let's take a look at uh, this notice of proposed rulemaking and uh, its effect on the Medicare Secondary Payer Act and trying to protect Medicare's interests. Let's elaborate a little bit on what that's all about. Well, if I can, I'd like to take one step back and to- talk about the... Uh advanced notice of um, rulemaking, which you mentioned was published last year. Sure. Uh, CMS received over 100 responses to that, and many of them had the same uh, theme, which is that CMS doesn't have the statutory authority to uh, delve into future medicals in a liability settlement. Um, In public comments to the industry, CMS said that the responses were not helpful, <laughs> and uh, that 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 is where it was left last year in 2012. The notice that has been published um, to do rulemaking doesn't have a date on it. It is dated September, but it doesn't have a day in September. So we don't really know when this notice of rulemaking will occur. Um, our position, that of my group, which is 
36 different entities interested in this issue, uh, including insurance companies and um, many others, is that liability is different from workers' comp. And in workers' comp, when you're injured on the job, there's a statutory requirement that the uh, employer, through their insurer, or if they're self-insured, pay all your medical bills as a result of the injury. Mm-hmm. In liability, there's no such statutory requirement, and usually these are contested cases where the party who is being asked to pay usually signs a release never admitting that they were responsible for anything. Right. So that's a huge difference from our perspective, and we don't want to see CMS changing the tort system in 50 states through rulemaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Tom, what does uh, Medicare hope to accomplish with the process that they're trying to uh, put into place? You know, given what Peter just said, um, I think I think I can build on that a little bit and, and tell you that I think it's pretty clear that Medicare has some, you know, um, they they have something to learn about the different lines of insurance that are taking place, you know, in the United States. The difference between commutation and compromise settlements. Um, and and the statutory obligation uh, represented by a settlement. But I think that what Medicare is trying to do uh, is they're looking for an, uh, an obvious way to clarify how future medicals are addressed in a compromise settlement versus a comp- commutation. And I don't think that they know how to do that. And that's why they're they're going out and asking us for for input on to you know what do you do you think this will work? Do you think that'll work? Do you think right. that'll work? <laughs> seven times, seven different options they gave us in the first uh, advance notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, you know, I guess the the, mo- the most important question is, and I think this is the one that that's on Peter's mind as well as everybody else's, is that you know what is going to be the response of the insurance industry should should this 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 Anthem process continue on and, and eventually lead to some kind of uh, you know, rule, general rule, uh, that's, you know, like a real regulation. It's not, it's not a voluntary process anymore. Right. Well, who, who exactly are the stakeholders in the process, Tom? Who, who, who gets uh, affected by all this? You know, according to the Medicare Secondary Care Act, you know, everybody that is an interested party, all interested parties have, have exposure to Medicare Secondary Payer recoveries in, in, in a conditional payment, in a conditional payment situation, meaning anything that was paid in the past, Medicare has a direct right of recovery to come in and you know seize those funds to make the the program whole. When it comes to uh, future medicals, there's a big gray area there. Um, typically, if you look at the way that the Medicare regulations and their manuals and their guidelines internally, the first line of um, exposure would naturally be to plan it because they received the money. But then you could go on and you talk to some of the liaisons that work uh, with the, the Office of General Counsel and also with the U.S. Treasury, and they seem to think that, well, yeah, we, we go to the plaintiff, but we also, we, we're keeping an eye on who the, the primary payer is, just in case. So it seems like they've got, they've got everybody involved in that, in that particular scenario that uh, is going to receive funds or substantial funds from the settlement. And, and, and Peter, I, w- I, would, I would open it up to you, too. Yeah, Peter, what are, what are some of the changes we can expect, Peter, from all of this? And uh, give me your insight into, into these 
various entities that are out there uh, being affected by all this. That that includes claimants, lawyers, insurance companies. Yeah, yes, Larry. We've been in communication with many different groups. Uh, some of them you wouldn't expect us to be um, supporting, and they're supporting our positions. Uh, I think what we can expect is that we know from discussions that CMS understands that there's a real challenge to them because of the response to the AMPRM, that they don't have a statutory right. I do believe that they believe that they have a right to tell beneficiaries anything they want to tell them. And so I, I think when they do propose the rulemaking, when they put up the notice of proposed rulemaking, it will be directed to beneficiaries and the responsibility of beneficiaries to um, make a portion of their settlements available for future medicals if, in fact, there was some uh, some argument made or maybe the complaint in a lawsuit said that there would be future medicals. They, I believe CMS will say that they need to put something aside but the, I do not believe they'll come forward and put the onus on the insurance industry. Um, I think they'll put it on the beneficiaries. Well, that, they, that, also, do, that also involves their lawyers. I mean, their lawyers have to be pretty uh, up, up to speed on all of this and uh, not steer their client down the wrong path here because they, you know, they could also be uh, on the hook if they make a mistake with their client. They could jeopardize their client's future Medicare eligibility, right? Right, and I think that the, that's why um, we have some unlikely allies as we go forward on. What's going to happen is they will post the rulemaking at some point in time, and it will be the proposed rule, and then they have to take comments for 60 days. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, um, they, t- they take the comments, and then at some time in the future, there's no magic day that they have to then come out with the final rule. So we're looking at, at the earliest sometime in 2014 uh, with a rule. It, will, it won't come out this year. And um, in all likelihood, if the rule goes too far, it could also lead to litigation over whether the rule is ap- applicable to the uh, industry or to different parties who perhaps are affected by the rule. So I could see this um, taking a long time to play itself out in courts. Sure. Well, Tom, in light of the fact that it might take some time before this gets resolved, uh, is there any any benefit to having claims get resolved during this pendency period here rather than wait for what may be a more onerous situation later? Does that provide an yeah. incentive to get things closed out and finished? I, I think so. And, and I'm just approaching this from a common sense kind of situation. We have the devil we know, mm-hmm. and then we've got this anthem process here, which is the devil we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, most uh, insurance entities of any size and, and with you know, most insurance companies basically right now have a policy in place with regards to future medicals and, and liability. And, and in my mind, this, this opportunity, whether it be a year or maybe two years, this is the opportunity to get rid of those um, those claims, or to at least to look at those claims and say, okay, let's close these out and do our our do our me- Medicare compliance in a in a way that you know meets with our appetites for risk, and also you know it shows that we we made a good faith effort to to meet our statutory obligations if they're there or not. But we've we've asked the Medicare question, 
and have that documented in our settlement language and go forward. Right. And doesn't matter if you're going to do a Medicare set aside. Doesn't matter if you're you're not going to do a Medicare side. This is this is the time when Medicare really doesn't have a whole lot of legal ground to kind of stand on and uh, come after the, the the interested parties. I mean, there's still right. It's still that gray area. I I think it's a good opportunity to close claims now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting also that even though you uh, a, a liability claimant may not decide to do a uh, Medicare set aside. The fact of the matter is that if they do take a structured settlement for the for their some of their proceeds, that money is still going to be there for the long haul and and be more available in the future if any of those needs arise. Rather than if they took cash, dissipated it, then they're really behind the eight ball if Medicare yeah. comes in and you know says they should have done something different. So it's a exactly. you know it's kind of a protective protective device even without a, a Medicare set aside to do a structure at this point in time. You agree? I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, they're, they're, a structured settlement, in my opinion, provides a ton of leeway and protection with regards to future future care, to future exposures to, to basically ensuring that there's going to be a, an income stream, you know, not in 9, 10, 12 years down the road. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Right. And, and it kind of pro- provides that belt and suspenders for the Medicare issue, too. You know, that that's the point. The point is that uh, if there's some uncertainty about the future, simply by having the funds and knowing they're coming out and, and there for the future, I think is something that CMS would look at as having, in some ways, taking Medicare's interest into consideration when this case was resolved. Absolutely. And ab- absolutely. And having, and having the, you know, the, you know, in, in, in those situations where it's clear that there is future medical need, mm-hmm. that, that having the correct settlement language you know, to to accompany sure. that that structured settlement that says, "Hey, look, this is the future medical money. This this is only a portion of the settlement proceeds. That protects the entire parameters of the settlement, so mm-hmm. that Medicare is not looking at you know specials money or or damages. They're just looking for you know the futures sure. futures. Exactly. And um, you know, and the structured settlement allows that plaintiff to maybe make a mistake and not and not have a, a catastrophic financial issue." Okay, there you go. That's exactly right. Well, let's take a quick break right now and be back in a minute right here on Ringo Radio with more on this uh, important and timely topic of CMS's plans for uh, compliance rules on liability cases. So we'll be right back with uh, Tom and Peter. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Ringler Associates has innovative solutions for legal professionals. In cases involving the ever-changing Medicare compliance factors, we work closely with our clients to assist in the identification of claim settlements where Medicare consideration is recommended. Go to www.ringlermedicaresolutions.com for more information. There's a Ringler associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler associate nearest you.
Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host. Glad you could join us. I'm joined by my colleague, Tom Blackwell, Vice President and Program Director of Ringler Medicare Solutions, Inc., and Peter Foley, Vice President Claims Administration for the American Insurance Association, or the AIA. We're discussing future medical costs when it comes to liability cases and CMS uh, rulemaking. Peter, how long do we have until this process is completed, and and when are we going to see regulations regarding future medicals and Medicare secondary payer compliance actually come out and be promulgated? As I mentioned earlier, I can't imagine anything coming out before 2014, but I am somewhat skeptical because if you recall, the original reporting bill passed in 2007, and they said they would have reporting up and running in 2008, and it only got up and running in 2012 fully. Um, it could be years, Larry, but I think one of the things you might want, your listening audience might want to consider is that with the advent of the new healthcare system coming into play, a lot of the payments that are going to be made on behalf of that healthcare system are going to be Medicaid payments, which are paid by the federal government through the states. And there'll be a lot of pressure on the states to collect Medicaid money as well. Uh, so Medicare beneficiaries or Medicaid beneficiaries will find themselves in very similar positions, having to uh, repay uh, either the state or the federal government. There's no question that if you're a Medicare beneficiary and Medicare pays for your bills in an accident, and then I pay you as a result of a car accident and pay those bills, um, that you have to repay that those monies during the pendency of the claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the insurance industry takes issue with is after the release is signed, we cannot be held responsible for any future medicals at that point in time because a meeting of the mind has occurred and people have accepted that this is the amount of money I will accept and the insurance company on behalf of the insured has said, and we don't uh, claim to be liable for anything. So essentially what they're saying is if if they need to look to anybody, the uh, government needs to look to the party receiving the funds, the uh, the beneficiary, the claimant who's getting that uh, settlement, uh, those settlement dollars, they need to concern themselves with that rather than the insurance company that paid the claim. Correct. And and I think that uh, my friends in the plaintiff's bar would say that they educate their clients as to what their responsibilities are as best they can and that they shouldn't be um, held responsible for what the beneficiary does with the money after they've been told what to do with the money by their attorney. Right. So everybody, in, in essence, wants indemnity. They want to step away. And, and the the individual receiving the funds needs to be the one to be concerned about not doing something with those funds that are going to jeopardize their eligibility. And of course, that's where we are. We're all involved here, and even this show today is is to educate the people out there as to what that means. And what it means is claimants need to protect their their future when they get a settlement. And one of the ways to do that, of course, Tom is, you know. Through a through perhaps an annuity settlement, uh, so that those funds are there, because we know human nature. So, in a more general sense, how can parties uh, settle these liability claims, Tom, and and try to avoid these future exposures that I'm talking about? Well, um, I think there are definitely degrees of exposure. You know, uh, it's not just one. It's not just a are you pregnant or not kind of question. Uh, Medicare exposures are definitely have. I'm not pregnant, to- by the way. I'm I've I decided I'm not pregnant. <laughs> I'm glad. Excellent. But 
uh, but that's you know that's the kind of that's the kind of mentality that 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 at least that I see as a as a provider out there. Everybody wants a black and white kind of answer, and there really isn't one in a lot of instances. Um, in most instances, you can say, and I would say probably in you know seventy eighty percent of the cases out there that some language that says, hey, we we've considered the Medicare issue here. It it, it is not. It is not a it is not a component to our settlement. This isn't about future medicals, and uh, so we're going forward with our settlement. You're done. And at that point, I think the vast majority of claims are, can be handled with settlement language like that. And I'll, I'll I'll say as an aside, much much more eloquently written and than that. But uh, you know, it'll it'll come out as a, just a hey, we addressed the concern. And that and that's what the statute says is that you have to take it into account. We always take it into account because they never say anything in the statute about whether this individual is on Medicare or not, or whether this individual has 30 months reasonable expectation of Medicare enrollment. It just says the individual or the benefit, you know, the, the, the individual, especially in the, in the general proposed rule that uh, came out in the Amprim, they, they specifically say the individual receiving settlement funds. Right. So it's, you know, it's it's a it's a question for all settlements. It's one that can be t- in in the vast majority of settlements. It can be handled with a quick, you know, blurb of settlement language that says we've considered the Medicare issue. It is not a, a point of contention. We're going forward with our settlement. So that's the that's the easy way to take care of it. The second way to take care of it is if you don't want to set up a Medicare set aside, structure a portion of the of the um, of the of the settlement proceeds. And, and have those bank out over a lifetime. You don't have to name it a Medicare set-aside, or you can med- name it a Medicare set-aside. It doesn't matter. But at least you have that income stream for the just-in-case Medicare comes back, or there was a conditional payment that was missed during the settlement, and now is the, the plaintiff's responsibility to, to pay that. At least they'll have some income to take care of that. And then you get into the more extreme cases and the more catastrophic cases, and I'm talking millions and millions of dollars where you know, there is definitely going to be a need for future medical related to the claim, literally to the injury mm-hmm. incurred. Then at that point, maybe we do identify and use, you know, a, a future medical cost projection to identify how much money needs of the settlement proceeds needs to be put aside. And then look at some other aspects uh, and facts of the case uh, regarding to uh, related to apportionment, um, because of the, 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 the percentage of compromise in the settlement. If we can, at this point, we can, we can use those, those kinds of methodologies to develop a, a funding for future medical, at least until Medicare promulgates some regulation that says we can't do that. Right, and you know, I, one of the things, you, uh, you brought up a good point. I mean, I've been advocating, especially on the very large cases that you mentioned, uh, to the to the often to the plaintiff attorney that you know the, the cost of getting a an analysis a uh, a uh, Medicare set aside type analysis from someone like Ringler Medicare mm-hmm. Solutions isn't that expensive when you're talking about the millions of dollars that this settlement is involved with and what's wrong yeah. with protecting that that process through a a, a you know a, a pr- report that's uh, a, obtained and then maybe doing a, a Medicare set aside for those claims just to, to be protected. I think it makes sense. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's the insurance company that's doing it because the insurance industry has some, some legitimate concerns with regards to, you know, what, what kind of exposure does this open up for me? If I'm, if I'm considering future medicals in this settlement, how does that affect me? 
does that mean that I'm liable for it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand that. And I think, I think the plaintiffs understand that. So maybe it's the plaintiff's responsibility to get that, to get that, that, uh, that projection done and, and present it and say, okay, well, this is how we want our settlement set up. And then it's never mentioned in, in the, in the course of the settlement process. It's just part of the funding mechanism post settlement. And I think everybody can get, get on board with that instead of, you know, and I've been to these presentations, fellas, and, and they, they stand out there and they point at the, in, the liability insurance carriers and they say you have responsibility. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, Peter, I, it hasn't been proven, has it? I don't know that that's the case. Uh, no, I, it hasn't been proven. And if, it, if somebody wants to take a case up, it will be an interesting, uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what the courts say about that. Because it does change what they're trying to, what some of the talking chatter that's going on out in the, um, sort of on some websites is that, um, oh, you need professional administration of these set asides. Uh, well, that, in effect, says to CMS, when CMS hears that, you're basically saying to CMS, you're not doing your job. So I don't think they'll go down the road of professional administration, requiring professional administration. I think that one of the, the one of the interesting things are the unintended consequences that could occur from the way the rule was written. Um, I have felt for a long time that a lot of the barriers that they put up in doing workers' comp set-asides is because they really don't want workers' comp claims to be settled. As long as the claim is open, they know that the medical bills are going to get paid by the insurance carrier or the self-insured. Mm-hmm. It's when you go to close it, they feel like there could be this transfer of the responsibility to CMS. The same could happen if they write a rule that is uh, consequential to, for instance, automobile accidents. When you look at liability claims, the large majority of liability claims are automobile, mm-hmm. and the large majority of people who get injured in automobile are elderly therefore Medicare beneficiaries, because younger people can withstand the impacts of these auto accidents where an elderly person can't. But yet the average automobile claim on the last report I saw, which was from the Insurance Research Council of 2008, uh, the average settlement with an attorney was $9,300. So if they write a very prescriptive, difficult rule to adhere to, you may find that a lot of plaintiff attorneys don't want to take soft tissue automobile cases. And we saw that with workers' comp. There are certain plaintiff attorneys who decided that it was too much trouble dealing with CMS, that they they dropped their workers' comp practice. And when you look at claims, and this is a truism that's proved correct over and over again, 80% of the claims are valued at less than $20,000. But 28 but the other 20% represent 80% of the dollars paid. Mm-hmm. So so it, it seems to be a situation which others have pointed out that elderly people may not be able to gain representation to pursue their claims. Yeah. That's one of the things that could, in, and that's one of the things that could happen to uh, different law firms. They could see some of their practice go by the wayside if the rule is... Um, too prescriptive and too rigid. And so just as much as insurers don't believe that they're responsible for anything after the settlement, um, the 
bar associations are concerned that, you know, it interferes with their ability to do business. And that's that's a real concern for them. It is a concern. You so know, one of the is going to be closely watched. Yep. One of the things I've I've seen in a couple of cases are is the fact that uh, some law firms and some insurance carriers, especially ones uh, let's say overseas, have have received seminars and uh, and information about these pending rules. And in one instance, they wouldn't resolve their case, a liability case, until they got approval. They think they need approval from CMS on a on a liability case before they would even, you know, do, agree to pay the the funds. And of course, that isn't necessarily uh, a part of the current process. But you know, people get gun shy. They don't they don't want to make the wrong move. So it could kind of paralyze the system of getting things done uh, unless this is ironed out. I've heard the same thing, Larry. I was talking to a broker uh, a week ago who said that a uh, Japanese insurer was asking for written confirmation yes. on certain things. There's no way he was going to be able to get it for them. Right. Now, in my my group, the uh, AIA's Medicaid group, uh, we represent European trade associations and the IBC of Canada. So we have been passing information over to Europe and to Canada to try to assure them that they have the correct information. But I did hear of, um, as I said, a Japanese insurer who was asking for things that the broker couldn't get. Exactly. So, Peter, as we come to a close here, who do you, who do you think stands to win or lose once these policies are finally promulgated? Who, who's who's going to make out and who's not? Uh, well, the federal government never loses. <laughs> they will write the rule in their to benefit them. It will be a black and white rule. There will be very little nuance to it because they don't like nuance because nuance ends up in litigation. Um, So they will be the overall winner no matter what. And I think the tort system in the United States as it's currently um, exists involving liability claims in 50 jurisdictions and the territories will be the losers because it will complicate the tort system. It will slow the tort system. It may even prevent some people from getting what's due them. That's who I think the losers will be. And one of the things that insurers have traditionally wanted to do is close the file. Yes. And the longer a claim is open, you have to heat it, you have to light it, you have to review it, you have to have people working on it. And so another loser will be the property casualty insurance industry that will have more costs associated with handling claims. And that will translate into the general public through rate increases in automobile and other lines of business. Exactly. Well, you know, and through it all, with all the back and forth and the the arguments that come from all sides about uh, how these rules should be applied, I think we can say that the lawyers will still be doing pretty well (laughs) because they're still going to have opportunities to uh, be fighting on all sides of this issue to try to get it squared away and straightened out. And uh, I guess that's the way it should be. So, Tom, uh, any final thoughts? Just that, you know, it's important for, for all of us to, to, keep a, to keep our fingers kind of in the pot here, seeing, see, determining the temperature of these, of these issues. Because as Peter, as Peter so eloquently kind of detailed out, the, the, this small little rule, this this very small change in a in a component that you know probably touches less than five percent of all claims in all lines of insurance could blow up and you know have a, a an incredible impact 
on on our daily lives, on our clients' lives, and and on the uh, plaintiffs' lives. So, um, if there's you know if you have something to say about it, get involved. Get involved with your associations. Take a stance. I think that's probably the most important thing I I could say today. Well, take a stance, and remember, you know we we're we're all in this. <laughs> we're all we're all going to be Medicare beneficiaries someday, hopefully. So it's right. important. Exactly. Well, that's that's wise counsel, Tom. Uh, Peter, any uh, final thoughts from you? Thanks, Larry. I want to, again, thank you for having me on. And uh, I would just suggest that as you, if you're listening to this, you're obviously interested in this issue. Uh, follow it closely, as Tom said. But also, when you read and, uh, and hear speakers on this subject, make sure that they have uh, a basis for the opinions that they are voicing and that the opinions that they are voicing are not driven by um, personal uh, financial benefit. Well, there you go. It's always good to be uh, here an independent voice, that's for sure. So, uh, Peter, if someone wanted to uh, talk to you or get a hold of you, uh, how would they uh, do that? Well, yeah, I can be reached at my office in Washington, D.C. at 202-828. 7154. That's 202-828-7154. Or by email, P, as in Peter, Foley, F-O-L-E-Y, at A-I-A-D-C dot org, O-R-G. Terrific. And uh, Tom, how about yourself, if someone wanted to talk to you? I have a, uh, I can be reached on my cell phone 24-7 at 727-439-0939. It's uh, 727-439-0939. That's the best number to get a hold of me. You can also reach me uh, at my email address, which is tblackwell, B-L-A-C-K-W-E-L-L, at ringlerassociates.com. Terrific. Terrific. And uh, that's it. Terrific. And you can reach all uh, Ringler Associates, as you know, on ringlerassociates.com. I encourage you to do that and look at that website. It's got a lot of great information uh, even about these issues of CMS compliance and uh, and all of that. So I, uh, I I encourage you to do that. And you can download any Ringler Radio show from either ringlerassociates.com, ringlerradio.com, or legaltalknetwork.com, or you can even go to iTunes and uh, download it onto your iPod or your iPhone and listen to it at your leisure. And, uh, Peter, I know that uh, you're a busy man, and we're really happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for being our guest. Thank, Thank you, Larry. And, Tom, same with you. Uh, thank you very much for your insight. Thank you. I appreciate all the, appreciate all the time. I really do. Terrific. It's always good talking to you, Larry. Terrific. And uh, to all of our uh, listeners out there, I want you to go out, have a great day, and uh, we look forward to talking to you and hearing from you again. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. <laughs>